Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pinewood Church. My name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood. We are so glad that you're joining us today. I especially want to give a shout out to all of the dads watching this. It is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, dads. I know that Father's Day comes with a lot of different emotions. And I know that for some of you, you're new dads. And so for those of you that are new dads, we're love, we love you. We're here for you. You know, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, for some of you, um, Father's Day brings about a lot of sad, but also a lot of good memories. Maybe you're watching this and uh, maybe you're having a hard time having children. And I just want to let you know that we love you. Uh, we see you. We're, we want to walk that journey with you. And for those dads that are aspiring dads, we love you. Uh, maybe you're uh, a dad here and, and you've lost a child. And for, for you, we want to let you know that we grieve with you. We still celebrate the fact that you were a dad and it was so special, but maybe you lost your child. And so we, we want to be there with you to walk that journey as well. Or maybe you lost your dad. And if that's you here today, we want to let you know that we are still celebrating the life of your dad today and every day. It is still Father's Day, even if they're not physically with us today. So on this, have happy Father's Day. I want to let all you dads know that we love you, we're here for you, and we celebrate you. Uh, how many of you would say today that you are frustrated over people's agenda. Maybe you're frustrated just by the fact that I said the word agenda. Maybe you're frustrated over your parents' agenda because you think one way, but your parents think another way. Let's talk to the parents in the room. Maybe you're frustrated with your kids because you feel like your kids have an agenda that you don't necessarily agree with. I think we could be frustrated with anyone's agenda. We could be frustrated with the agenda of the police. We could be uh, frustrated with the agenda of the politicians, frustrated with the agenda of the religious and faith community. You might even be frustrated with your own spouse. And how many of you know in COVID, if you're frustrated with your spouse, that's the perfect time to be frustrated over agenda with your spouse is when you're in isolation with that human being 24-7. Isn't that the best? I believe that God is calling us as Jesus followers, as the church of Jesus Christ, to have a heavenly agenda. And I want to talk to you today about a person in the Bible called Paul. Paul is also referred to as the Apostle Paul, and he's written almost half of the New Testament. Paul was accustomed to having his agenda absolutely destroyed and wrecked by a heavenly agenda. Let me help you understand what I'm saying here. Paul didn't always used to be called Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. And if you're watching this, you're like, what are you talking about? Well, you, as we can see in Acts chapter 9, Paul had a radical and supernatural conversion. How many of you know that when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, everything changes. I want to look at a short passage of scripture found in Acts chapter 9. Acts 9 verses 1 through 4 says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out 
murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called Christians that followed after Jesus, they called them the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I want us to to look at that. Why do you persecute me? At this moment in time, Saul was only persecuting the men and the women that were following the way and the disciples. Persecuting so much so that he wanted to kill them and he wanted to put them in prison. So why does Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? Well, how many of you know that when there is persecution towards the body of Christ, that it is a direct offense toward God. But aren't you grateful today that God can take someone like Saul, who had intense hatred in his heart, prejudice toward a certain type of people, anger, that in a second, God, you can have an encounter with God and God can change every aspect of your life. Saul was going one way, he had an encounter with God, and now he is moving in another direction. Paul had, Saul at that time had a prejudice and hatred towards one certain type of a people. But then after that encounter to God, Saul loved everybody. He was Saul, now he is Paul. That encounter with God, he made all things new. He took his heart as stone and he gave him a heart of compassion. He took where there was hatred and he gave him love for people and he gave him a new name. I love the scripture says, for if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are made new. How many of you are watching this today saying, hey, I can relate to that. That was my story. I was walking one way, and after that encounter with God, I'm walking a new way. And it's also believed that Saul was around 28 to 31 years old when this happened. So maybe you're watching this, and you're in your upper 20s, your lower 30s, and you're thinking to myself, well, I'm already too far gone. I've already made too many mistakes. I've already said too many hurtful, hateful things. I've already done enough for people to not like me, especially a holy God. And I want to tell you, if you're watching this, it's never too late. I had a a turnaround. People in our community had turnaround at all phases and ages of life. Saul had a turnaround, and so can you. We're launching into a new series over the course of the summer in the book of Philippians, and the title of the series is Heavenly Agenda. Heaven's Agenda, which is a heavenly agenda. Heaven's Agenda. And I believe that this is a timely series for us to dive into. We all need hope right now. We all need a better perspective right now. It feels like there's a lot of division. It feels like there's a lot of choices that we need to make. But I feel like 
if we look to God's word, his, this ancient scripture, this timeless truth that I believe that we can rise above all of the agendas and that we can see people for how God sees people. We can make decisions as God leads and guides us to make decisions. And we can look to our only hope, which I believe is Jesus. Amen. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this book. We're grateful for the truths found in it and, and how, even though it was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago to a specific people, it is just as relevant today as it was then. It's just as true today as it was then. And God, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to move. I pray that your Holy Spirit right now speaks to everybody that is watching no matter where they're at, no matter when they're watching, Father, your spirit can speak directly to them and it can change their lives forever. God, we pray for an encounter from you and that that would, encounter would happen and that we would be changed forever. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. I want to share with you for just a little bit, a little bit of a background, a little backdrop as to who Paul is speaking to in Philippi. Now, I may only be speaking to one person right now because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little history for a second. But for you that's watching that loves this stuff, uh, you and me can have a conversation. Uh, Philippi is named after Philip, who was Alexander the Great's dad. It's pretty cool, huh? Philippi was also, before it was Philippi, there were a lot of gold and there was a lot of silver mines around, which led to Philippi being a very affluent town and really uh, a center, a crossroad uh, for commercial work. Also, Philippi was referred to as a Roman colony. Now, that may not mean a lot to us today, but to them in that time, that meant everything. Roman citizens in that time took a lot of pride in being a Roman citizen and living in a Roman colony and having that heritage. That's all. That's all of the history. Oh, last thing. Philippi is located in northern Greece, just in case you're wondering. Paul, Paul uh, came to Philippi first on his second missionary journey. Paul went on three missionary journeys. He came to Philippi on his second missionary journey. Now, this whole story is incredible. It can be found in Acts chapter 16, even as to how he was sent to Philippi. But we see Paul coming into Philippi, which this is also, I love this little insight. This is the first church established in Europe, the church of Philippi. Paul comes into Philippi, and he has three very unique and very special encounters that I believe gives us a good backdrop as to the next eight weeks of the study that we're going to have. The first three encounters are with three unique individuals. One is Lydia. Paul and Timothy are going to pray, and they encounter this rich woman named Lydia. Lydia sells purple fabric. 
and which means she was pretty well off because this is a very expensive fabric. And Paul shares the gospel with Lydia. Lydia comes to faith. Lydia just doesn't come to faith. She brings her whole household to faith. She says, no, come share this gospel with our whole family. Baptize our whole family. And then we see the next day, we see Paul going to pray again. And he has this other lady that is, the scripture says, annoying him, is harassing him. And this person was demon possessed. And this person was a slave. And the master controlled this person because she had the gift of foretelling the future. And, and being just kind of frustrated and just kind of overwhelmed by this person, Paul turns around and he, he rebukes this person in Jesus' name and he casts out the demon from this slave woman. And that, then we see the, the masters got really frustrated at the situation and they started falsely accusing Paul, saying he's a Jew and he's telling people to do things that are, are against our Roman rule and custom and they throw him in jail and they beat him. And in jail, an angel of the Lord comes and the place begins to shake and their chains begin to break and, and the door slings open and they can run free and they can run out, but they don't. The guard, the jailer wakes up and he sees that the gate is open and he thinks to himself, this is it for me. I fell asleep on my post and now they're gonna kill me. And as he's going to take his life, Paul and Timothy, Timothy say, wait, 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 we're still here. They end up sharing the gospel with this jailer. The jailer then brings them into their home and everyone in his household comes to faith and is baptized. And these are the three stories that we see on Paul's first encounter with Philippian and Philippi, which is now the church of uh, Philippi, Philippi. Now, what's interesting about this story to me is, is that these are people from three different socioeconomic statuses. They're male and female, and they're of all different nationalities. It's thought that the, the Lydian woman is from Asia, the slave woman is from Greece, and then the jailer is a Roman citizen. And then we have the, the Lydia is wealthy, a slave woman at that time as a slave would not have necessarily even been considered a person, but a tool. So you have some from the highest to what would have been at that time considered the lowest class. And then the Roman uh, jailer would have been somewhere right in the middle. And what I love about this encounter with Paul and, and these three individuals is that this is the most beautiful and robust passage of scripture that speaks to the all-inclusive, all-encompassing, all-embracing gospel that Paul was trying to teach. He said that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what status you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter if you're a Roman official or if you're an entrepreneur. And it doesn't matter if you're a slave. The gospel is for everybody. And that's how the church at Philippi was birthed. In this season, at this moment in history, I think it's, I think it's very important that we look to God to say, God, what is your agenda over my life in this moment? 
Maybe how has other people's agenda clouded my vision for your agenda in my life? The voices that I've let speak into my life, how has that clouded my judgment, my decisions as to what you're calling me to do? And I want to get specific. Maybe what God is calling his agenda for your, your family, his agenda for your business, his agenda for your relationships in the community, his agenda for what is happening right now, even as we're looking ahead towards another season of voting for a new president. God, may you give us wisdom as a heavenly agenda. Title of the message is Ready for Change. And I want to briefly give you three purposes behind why this letter was written. I believe there are three themes that we're going to be looking at over the next eight weeks. The first is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. In Philippians 1, verses 3 through 6, it says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, For all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here we see Paul giving several pieces of gratitude. Uh, One is that he's grateful for their partnership in the gospel. Now, Paul is writing this letter as a letter of thanksgiving for the gift that he had just received from Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a person that brought a gift to Paul in prison in Rome. And Paul is writing this letter in thanksgiving saying, thank you for that generous gift. Oh, thank you. I, 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 love, I love you. I'm so grateful for you. He was thankful for the gift, but also think that he was Uh, thankful, speaking to the potential that he saw. He was thankful for where they were moving towards, who they were becoming. He was thankful for where they were going. Do you see that in the second part of the text? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It was something about their, their progress moving forward, advancing the gospel that also gave Paul in prison a heart of gratitude. Aren't you, uh, Grateful that the church in Philippi did not pull back when they saw that times got tough for Paul. Paul is in prison in Rome in this moment, and the church of Philippi, out of all of the churches that he had planted, the church at Philippi said, Paul is hurting. I mean, at this point, Paul thought he was going to his death, and they said, we're going to not only send him a gift of resources, we're going to send him a person as well to serve him, to be with him, to fellowship with him. How do we show up for those hurting in this season? If we were the church of Philippi and we see our brothers and our sisters in our city, around the country and around the world hurting, how do we show up for them? Are we causing people to be thankful because of our thoughtfulness or are we causing people to be frustrated because of our thoughtlessness? I think it's interesting that Paul was so thankful because of how thoughtful they were. How many of our brothers and our sisters 
or maybe tired or maybe frustrated, uh, maybe overwhelmed because of how thoughtless the church is being in their deepest time of need. How do we show up for our brothers and sisters that are in a tough spot? Now, your mind goes immediately to wherever your agenda is. You already have a bias here. And this is where I think it is really important that as followers of Jesus that have a heavenly agenda, we rise above the broad stroke bias. I'm going to help you understand what I mean here. If there is a black brother or sister that is hurting right now, that feels tired and and overwhelmed or that feels oppressed or that feels dehumanized, I don't care who you are. I want to show up for you. I want to empathize with you. If, If I can, I want to send a gift. If I can, I want to physically show up in person to listen, to let you know I'm standing beside you. I want to serve you. But that also applies to the police. Wait, it's getting political. Some of you are already turning it off. (laughs) If we have a brother or a sister that is that we don't, you know, we love, that is hurting for whatever reason right now, that is going through a difficult time. Maybe they lost a, br- a fellow police officer or a cop, or maybe they're going through a difficult time. Should we in this season say, well, we're not going to meet you in this season because we're focused over here? Or should we have a heavenly agenda and say, no, you're still a brother, you're still a sister, I still want to meet you where you are in your time of struggle, in your time of pain or your time of anguish, whatever, whatever people are going through, and you meet them there. This is why, as a follower of Jesus, you're going to frustrate literally everybody. Because it's like, why are you going to show up for him? I thought you were on this side. Why would you show up for her? You told me that you were for me. We're for everybody. Whoever is hurting... Whoever is in a rough spot, we want to be there. We want to love you. We want to show up. We want to gift you. We want to serve you. And it's not just this versus this. It's it's every situation of life. How are you showing up for people? Maybe people are going through a difficult time. They They got a horrific diagnosis at their last doctor visit and and you're like oh man that's really hard like I'm gonna pray for them but yet you never text them you never call them you never just show up to their house you don't buy them flowers you you do nothing maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with your work business is not good right now and I know that many of you are feeling the effects of that You're having to let people go. You're shutting businesses down. Businesses that you've worked your whole life to build. And in that moment, everybody's so focused 
on this agenda and that agenda. We're missing hurting people that are right in front of us to say, how, are you, how do you feel right now? Is there anything that I can do? I want to show up for you. I want to serve. If it means I'm going to start my own GoFundMe for you, I'll do it. Whatever I can do to serve you and to show up, I'm in. And I believe as we begin to be thoughtful, I believe we'll start to see thankfulness rise up in people's hearts. Paul was thankful. Second, he was joyful. Philippians 1, 25 through 26 says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you, all of your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Paul mentions joy or rejoice 16 times in the book of Philippians. It's been said historically that the book of Philippians is the epistle of joy or the epistle of excellent things. But it is thought that if there was one big theme in the book of Philippians, that theme would be joy. Now, I've wrestled with this because I don't want to have an insensitive ear to culture right now. And if I'm being honest, the last thing that any of us want to feel in the middle of a global pandemic, in the middle of uh, a lot of financial struggle, social unrest, racial uh, unrest, and, and, and trying to bring reconciliation, and we're all f- fighting so many battles and, and struggles. It's like, be joyful. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you feel it? Sing it with me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It makes you mad, don't it? Don't be mad. Don't be joyful. We'll be joyful on the other end of this. Today, I want to be mad. Today, I want to be frustrated. Forget joy. That's the nice way of saying it. You thought I was going to say something else. No, this is maybe next weekend. Tune in next weekend. Forget joy. But as I look at Paul's life, and I look at everything that he's been through, all the moments of maybe chaos and crisis, I think to myself, and even, even just falsely accused, I mean, he's in prison, like, and on that first, because he's falsely accused, I mean, he's a Roman citizen. I look at his life, and constantly he's saying, find your joy in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. He is in prison on his way to what he thought was his death and he's talking about finding joy. And we're wondering how we're going to pay our light bill, saying that, now forget joy. And I wrote this down to try to help you maybe understand a little bit about what Scripture is teaching and what it's not. I said, joy is a byproduct of what God is doing on the inside, not what the world is doing on the outside. Joy is a byproduct of what God is doing on the inside. So how do we live with heavenly agenda? Well, we seek, what is God doing on the inside? What progress is he making in my heart? Like, when you understand the grace of God on your life, Paul was living 
from joy because he recognized the unconditional love on his life on the road to Damascus. When he was persecuting and killing Christians, when he had a heart of stone, prejudice and anger, and God got a hold of his life, grace touched him, Jesus changed everything. He says, well, I'm living, I'm living from grace. Therefore, in Christ, when I look back, I have the joy of the Lord. You see, joy is not in our circumstances. Joy is not found in our spouse, in who gets voted as president, in the socioeconomic status that I'm going to be living in next month. If your joy is in those things, you're going to constantly be depressed. There's not enough good news in the world to keep you joyful on the inside. But if we can, but if we can find our joy in the Lord, what God is doing on the inside, then that gives me a lot of hope. Paul finds joy in impossible situations. I also wrote this, being joyful is not being ignorant of your situation. It's being intentional with your source. Being joyful is not being ignorant of your situation. We all see the same thing. And it's not great. But it's being intentional with where you find your source of joy in this season. If I can encourage you in one thing in this season is to lean in to a very personal and real encounter with Jesus Christ. He can change. And I believe that we're ready for change. And the final theme that I see in the book of Philippians is unity. In Philippians 2, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul is giving an appeal for unity in the church at Philippi. At this point in time, he hears a word, probably from Epaphroditus, saying, hey, this is what's happening, you know. Uh, there are these few individuals that are ca causing division, and then there's also these false teachers that are coming in, and, and Paul, I can imagine, he's saying, ah, oh, how many times have I, have, have I had to say this? Unity, you're one body, one mind, one spirit, come together. You're so much stronger when you are united. And I think if there was ever a time that we needed that reminder in unity, it's right now. Because I feel like it's so easy to become so divisive. I'm not talking about the world versus Christianity. I'm talking about Christians versus Christians. When a Christian tries to lean in and be thoughtful for somebody or tries to stand up for somebody and then they get friendly fire, I expect opposition from the world. But I wasn't ready for friendly fire. 
you're like, oh, you haven't gotten any backlash for anything that you've done. You're wrong. I have. <laughs> Lots. You're like, what have you even done? Oh, tried to show up for people. Tried to empathize with people. Can we, can we work together? Seek God's face. Lean into God's word. Pray for wisdom. And can we have a conversation? I believe that if the church of Jesus Christ today could become united, then we become an unstoppable force. Now, granted, don't get me wrong. The church is already making moves. Just look at the news. We're seeing the church is rising up. I'm not going to pretend like the church is shrinking back right now. I believe that many in the church, for the very first time, are making moves. Despite the criticism, despite the opposition, they're saying, you know what? I'm not going to be found silent in a time where people desperately need my voice. I may be tired. I may be overwhelmed. I may be a little scared, but I'm not going to shrink back. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to work to bring unity in the church. No more harsh words. No more anger-led decision-making. No more casting stones. I think now well, let's just look back at what Paul said. How did he open up his letter? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. And if I could encourage the church to lean into one thing right now, it's grace and peace. If you're watching this and you're saying, Pastor, I've never, never had that radical conversion or that supernatural encounter with God, but... Uh, but I feel like I need a change. I feel like I'm ready for a change. I feel like I want to have a heaven's, heaven's agenda. Then I want to invite you right now that you can receive the free gift of grace. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, this is another letter that Paul wrote. He said, for by grace, this grace is a church word that means God's unconditional love and his unmerited favor over, on your life. For by grace, you are safe through faith. That this is not of your own doing. It is a free gift of God. So how do you receive this grace? You put all of your faith, you put all of your trust, all of your dependence, you just everything you got into Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. He paid your penalty on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. And it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that scripture says we can have life, that our sin equals death, but through the blood of Jesus who paid the penalty for our sins, we can have not only life, we can have abundant life. And I want to invite you right now, if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? I don't believe it's the prayer that saves you. I believe it's only your faith in Jesus that saves you. But I do believe that this prayer is a public declaration of you saying, God, I was walking one way, but I repent. I repent of my sins. I repent of uh, my bad habits, my addiction, my racism, 
my prejudice. I repent of my sin. I confess to you, and God, I want to turn, and I want to walk towards you now as my Lord and Savior. If that's you here today, would you pray this prayer with me? You say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you. I confess that I have sinned against you. I believe that God has raised you from the dead. And right now, by faith, I say Jesus is Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. By your grace, I am saved. And by your power, I am set free. And if you just prayed that prayer today, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then I want to go ahead and tell you that all of the heavens, the angels are celebrating that decision. We here at Pinewood Church, we're celebrating that decision with you. I believe that's the best decision that you'll ever make in your entire life. You have a new name. You have a new direction. You have hope for heaven. And now you have a heavenly agenda. We love you so much. If you made that decision, I want to encourage you. Fill out a connect card. Let us know who you are. Our mission at Pinewood is to meet people where they are and to point them to Jesus. So right now, go on to pinewood.church, hit the connect tab, and let us know who you are. We want to reach out to you and get you connected here with the family at Pinewood Church. We're going to have a song of response. And right now, I want you just to take a few minutes during this song of response, and I want you to pray. I want you to pray to God and seek God's wisdom on your life because I believe that God's word is important to read. I believe that it's important to hear and that it's important to understand. But if we leave it at that, we're not truly being obedient to what he's calling us to do. I want you to pray during the song of response. God, what are you calling me to do? How can I reach out to somebody that's hurting right now? How can I lean into you to find joy in this season? And how can I work to bring about unity in the body of Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. I pray right now that we would truly lean in to our next step where you're leading and where you're guiding. Father, we give you a blank page. Whatever you tell us to do, the answer will be yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.